the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join the conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. We're glad to be able to be in studio today, Abigail and I. Once again, how are you today? Doing really well. Good. Enjoying our winter weather. Yes, we are. It's it's beautiful right here before Christmas with you know, a fresh coating of snow. We always enjoy seeing that when we're in Minnesota, right? That's all we have right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yes, that's exactly right. So today we are welcoming into our studio Jill Gogger, who is heading up the Minnesota chapter of FAIR in medicine. This is an organization that's launching in January. Jill is a nurse practitioner with an interest in functional and holistic medicine. Her children attend Liberty Classical Academy, which has been an anchor to their family in terms of walking with Christ and having a solid foundation and community for their beliefs. She was drawn to the organization uh, because she wanted to support the same ability for others and create a safe and respectful community for people, a community that supports civil discourse, nonpartisan distribution of information and education, critical thinking, and evidence-based science. There's so much medical misinformation circulating in our schools and communities such as gender issues and ethnic studies that we thought it would be beneficial for our audience to have Jill on to address some of these things. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show, Jill, by phone today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. That is great. Um, Well, we want to give our listeners a little bit of background. Uh, We have actually covered the FAIR organization a number of times in the last couple of years. Um, We've had a few individuals on, but this is obviously a new uh, direction that we have not ever brought onto our show, the FAIR Medicine. But can you start, Jill, by talking about what is the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, FAIR organization? What is it? Yeah, so FAIR is a nonpartisan organization, and they're dedicated to advancing civil rights and liberties for all Americans and promoting a common culture based on fairness, understanding, and humanity. Mm-hmm. Which is so good. You know, I found this organization actually not by accident. It was actually introduced to me by a friend of Liberty a couple of years ago, right after they were getting started. 
And I went onto their website thinking at first with this name that it was going to be a woke organization, right? Um, but the person who recommended it to me, I knew wasn't. So I was a little confused. And I went onto their website and I was so impressed with what I was seeing. And they're trying to take back the language and the words that the left progressives have taken on um, to try to make people think that they are racist um, when true racism is is not uh, often what, what they are describing as true racism today. So I like that they're taking back the language, and I think that they've set up a few different standards that they follow, and you can find those on their website, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And so I assume that at the core of everything um, is those standards that they put together. Is that right, Jill? Yeah, absolutely. They're in medicine streams from that, and they're a national organization. And then, of course, we're trying to bring um, a Twin Cities group together so we can have that local community. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then let's be a little bit more specific then about what FAIR in Medicine is. Yeah, so FAIR in Medicine, and they actually have this listed on their website in in more detail. So Mm -hmm. I'll just... Summarize. Try to be a little bit more concise, but <laughs> yeah, um, they, they basically they seek to support the highest standard of compassionate medical care, as well as the search for objective truth, defend medical ethics, the scientific process, and physicians who are threatened or persecuted for raising questions about ethics, uh, racism, or the weakening of medical standards. Um, they're also affirming the dignity of each individual seeking medical care, um, and that. All of that care should be provided without regard to ethnicity, skin color, sex, and gender, or sexual orientation. Mm. You know, about maybe a year ago, I would have never imagined that we would need this in Mm. medicine, right? And we were seeing the wokeness coming into the educational system, you know, full on, and that's been on its way for a long time. But I couldn't ever imagine that I would see it in medicine, and then... I think it was maybe six months ago, maybe it was a year ago, I don't think it was that long, but I saw this article come across my email saying that one of the hospitals out on the East Coast, I think it was in Boston, was going to start ranking their emergency room patients by these, these, you know, whatever you want to call them, minority statuses. And so basically, if you were white... Uh, middle-class male or female, it seemed that you were going to go to the bottom of the emergency room list. And I was stunned. I mean, this was a big-name hospital. And like I said, I think it was in Boston. And I thought, really? Could could this really happen, that they are going to now start choosing who they're going to serve first on the basis of race or gender or um, sexuality? And so can you just address that a little bit, Um, Jill? I know we're going to be talking about this doctor from the U of M in a little while, but can you share some of the things that are happening that would even cause a need for FAIR in medicine to exist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have definitely, I I saw that article. Um, There was things during COVID where they said that they were going to, um, you know, rank people based on race and, and they try to back it up with things like, well, 
Hispanic people or African-American people are more at risk, so we should be prioritizing their care. Um, but I think that's just a really slippery slope oh, yeah. um, to go that way. And, mm-hmm. and it feels more like a political ideology to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that you're pl- placing, you know, one group ahead of other groups. And, and again, like I said, I think that's just um, like, where do we stop with that? Yeah. Where do we stop? And, and it's just stunning to me that, that there would even be a thought of that. I mean, you still have your panel of people, patients that come into an emergency room. And if you don't order them at, in the level of urgency and distress and sickness, then you're going to have patients dying. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for example, I have a friend whose little baby granddaughter ended up in the emergency room with RSV. She was only three months old and she is a white little girl from a middle class set of white parents. And thankfully, that hospital didn't choose to rank by um, by race or what have you. And she did get rushed to the top of the list. They were There was a waiting room full of people and that child was having so much trouble breathing that they did bring her to the top and bring her back. But that child in, in, in a different setting where they are ranking, she, she could have died. They could have lost her. And, and it's, it's mind boggling when they take this Hippocratic oath. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. But I mean, with the Hippocratic oath, right? You're, you're supposed to be doing no harm. So how are they justifying this, Jill? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It it feels like we're taking steps backward instead of forward. Right. You know, and that's like everything that doctors have ever done, everything medical providers have ever done is, has been based in science and evidence-based care. We have all of these guidelines that we follow, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to make sure patients are getting the best care. And it just doesn't seem to me that, um, that those things would have changed so quickly, right? Um, you know, that's why it feels to me more like like following politics than actually, you know, or social events rather than um, following like science-based medical care and evidence-based care because, um, you know, I, I just don't think that there is a guideline for that right. you know, or that could have been created that quickly mm-hmm. um, and had research you know, years of research to back it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Twin Cities group that you're starting. Um, do you want to tell us about, you know, specifically why you're opening a Minnesota chapter of the uh, fair in medicine? And then, you know, we know it's launching in January, but, you know, tell us a little bit about the first meeting and that type of thing. So first of all, you know, why Twin Cities? Yeah, yeah. So Twin Cities really is the first um, like city to actually take this on um, because Fair and Medicine is national. So we really wanted to bring it to different states and different cities um, so that that there's more of like a local community support for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, and still obviously with the same Fair and Medicine values. Um, and so, and also to provide like a, a template for other people to follow, because we kind of feel like if we made it easy, mm-hmm. if, then other people would do the same. Sure. Um, and we really want to just have a, a platform where we can support 
and educate and empower uh, medical providers. And, and like I said, that local community for discussion of ideas, exchange of nonpartisan and evidence-based information. One thing I really appreciated about FAIR when I first found it and then started looking at FAIR in medicine um, was that as a provider, I didn't really know how to look at some of these things uh, coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that FAIR provided some really objective in- information and it was still you know, empathetic care and, um, you know, they, they use the words pro-human, you know, mm-hmm. so we're all human. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what our skin color is. Right. We're, we're human mm-hmm. and we all deserve the same care. And, um, you know, and we shouldn't be, you know, if for some reason people thought that white people were, um, you know, subjugating other people, is it fair to subjugate white people then? Or do we want to actually bring everybody up to the same level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the meeting, um, so yeah, we're, we're thinking we'll do a Zoom meeting for our first in-person um, just for people to kind of check it out and uh, get their toes wet. And um, so we're thinking about January 24th and we'll have updates um, and you can always go to the fair and uh, Fair Twin Cities and sign up for a newsletter updates, and and then you'll get updates about that. Oh, that's fantastic! And I assume you're doing Zoom mainly just because that way people can come without having to drive somewhere because you're trying to attract people from all over the Twin Cities. I'm guessing, right? Is that kind of the purpose of the Zoom? Yeah, yeah. And then we can also just see um, what works for people, like days and times, and. Sure. Um, and then if there's a kind of a cluster of people in one area, then it would not really make sense to have it all the way out east. Just sure. say we have a bunch of people who were, who were uh, more located on the western side. Yeah, that does make sense. Well, you're listening to Education America on AM 1280, The Patriot. And we are opening or we are talking um, about the new Minnesota chapter for FAIR in Medicine through the FAIR organization. And we have Jill Gogger on explaining what this is and how we can get involved, as well as what this organization will be covering in their meetings. So let's let's talk about that next, Jill. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be covering at the meeting and the FAIR medicine uh, in January. Or, well, once you get started, I guess. It sounds like that first one's a planning yeah. meeting, but then after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we actually plan to have Carrie Mendoza, who is the director of Fair and Medicine National, and we're going to have her talk um, just so she can kind of catch everybody up on, on what's been going on there and uh, some of the major concerns nationally mm-hmm. um, and nationally and specific to the Twin Cities. You know, one of the things we're seeing um, is a lot of the DEI training um, and, and theory for medical staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the concerns is that is that that is heavily tied to political ideology. Um, and again, again, we're talking about FAIR's pro-human approach. Um, and, and we would see that the lessons learned from historical tragedies when science and medicine become politicized uh, by placing a group identity ahead of individual needs, mm-hmm. um, that it just doesn't, it, it erodes the trust in medical institutions and it can harm patients. Yeah, yeah. 
One of the things that you mentioned in some of your notes before we actually had you on air was that you talked about this ideology um, is is contributing to the weakening of educational standards um, with respect to medical professionals. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, the training and the theory for the medical staff? I mean, you're talking about the DEI, um, but how is that actually affecting the care that they are receiving? For, or for the patients, patients, sorry, for the patients to be receiving, yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when there's a focus on on the DEI training rather than medical training, that's obviously concerning. Um, and then also, um, it, uh, they're trying to level the playing field, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a way. And so people who, uh, so, so the educational standards are weakened um, so that they feel that everybody's included. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when that happens, then we're not getting highly trained providers you know, who are going to be seeing the patients and that can absolutely cause harm for patients because there's more of a concern about the ideology and who's getting in, you know, maybe having the correct ratio of people of certain skin colors. Um, and, and that just brings the bar down for everybody instead Mm of, like I said, we should be kind of going up to the same standard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I absolutely believe that, people of every skin color can perform at the highest level. And, you know, one of fair and medicine standards is that we should be all performing at the highest level. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about really is that even at the medical school level, at the training level, the DEI has infiltrated to the point where they're not necessarily taking, because the best, the best and most qualified candidates but they're trying to balance for skin color or background race or sex or gender. Um, I know that's happening in the regular colleges mm-hmm. um, pretty pretty significantly. I know our college counselor is telling me and she forwards me emails all the time. And a lot of these colleges are just blatant about what they're looking for and how they're focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion on their incoming freshman class. And, but to think that that's happening in the medical schools too, is that what you're telling us? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Wow. That is, you know, we used to always say, well, you want the person, if you've got to have brain surgery, you're going to want the best the brain surgeon, brain the most surgery. qualified, who's been the best trained. And now we can't even, we can't even trust that that's necessarily going to be the case um, as time goes on. That is very frightening, isn't it? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell us a little bit about this uh, doctor, I forgot her name, Dr. Gus- Gustillo? Oh, Tara Gustillo, yeah. Yeah, tell us about her. She's been, I think, um, kind of open about what's happened to her. Yeah, she's a Hennepin Health OBGYN, um, or she was, and she was demoted from her position um because she was object, she objected to racialized healthcare, and she herself, she's um, Filipino, um, <laughs> and she, you know, saw what was going on, and 
didn't like it. She had um, created a program to reflect cultural competent care and birthing practices. Um, And then that program, she felt, started to turn into segregated care. Um, And she she wanted to, you know, she was fighting for race-neutral care. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, she was removed from her position as, as chair in that department, and she had to file a discrimination suit against Hennepin Health. Wow. And where is that now? I mean, is that still in process? Has she won the case, or where is it at? Um, I'm actually, I think the last thing I heard was that she had, okay. had um, but I'm not a okay. on that. Okay. Well, I would sure hope so because yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and this is just so classic that it doesn't matter if you are of minority status, if you don't have the right narrative that, yeah. um, you know, that walks alongside and, and up, uplifts DEI, then they're going to cast you aside too. It doesn't matter that you're a minority. And, and we saw that with Dr. Uh, Dr. Carson. Um, yes. We've seen that on a national level. Um, yes. Who obviously most people yeah. know he is a renowned neurosurgeon, has, cre- mm-hmm. has done some of uh, some preeminent surgeries that mm-hmm. were groundbreaking, obviously, and then has been, you know, run for president and different things, but he has, he is not not a liberal politician, um, mm-hmm. instead is more conservative. And we've seen now uh, this past week a, it's at a high school out east that was named Dr. Like Ben Carson. It was either his, the high school, there was some area of the high school that was named for him, and they've oh. decided to, they've decided to rename that because he oh. does not reflect their values. <laughs> Which is just, I mean, and again, he is the epitome of competency and excellent yeah. excellence in his field. And what most minorities would want their children to become. Yes. What, what, not just minorities, all all, all, all races and them parents. To, would, you know, their children to, to have his skills and his, you know, his competency and excellence yeah. in many areas. So it was, mm-hmm. it's very sad to see even the medical profession going that way because I do think it, uh, you lose a lot of trust Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, in theory, half the country doesn't necessarily agree with these ideas, mm-hmm. um, or at least there's there's differences of of opinion on whether or not these ideologies are helpful or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Another uh, element of fair in medicine that you said that was going to be addressed is this whole transgender movement. And I've been reading articles as well about how Europe is actually turning away from this ideology and, and, you know, using hormone blockers and, or puberty blockers and, um, sex change surgeries and things like that. For children. Uh, for children. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Jill? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see that, that they're kind of scaling back while the U.S. is keeps going ahead with mm-hmm. it. Um, and, you know, you have these, the, like you mentioned, the puberty blockers, which some of what they do is irreversible, and then that we're considering having surgeries on these kids. Um, and we don't, you know, again, kind of back to long-term studies, we don't have any long-term studies on that, and, and that's kind of unheard of. We in in the past, it's always been that you would have long-term studies before you started testing new treatments on kids. Right. Um, 
and and so again, kind of like back to the political ideology, it it seems more rooted in that than it does seem to be rooted in in science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you listen to, um, there are a number of of children, and they are still children, which is heartbreaking, um, who are now detransitioning. Um, one of the most uh, well known right now, her name is Chloe Cole. Um, you know, she at the yeah. age of eleven, she began the process of transitioning. She's a biological female and began the process with a group of medical professionals who, you know, according this, what she says is who those medical professionals basically did not fully inform her parents on, you know, the full ramifications of, you know, what the effects of these hormones would do. She had a mastectomy a perfectly healthy child had a mastectomy at the age of 15 and at around the age of 17 realized, wait a minute, this, this is, this isn't right. Um, And now she's, she's only 18 years old now. Mm. And she has been featured on a number of, um, you know, generally conservative, um, you know, radio programs and, and different media. Um, I'm sure she'd be willing to go on, um, others as well, but unfortunately, see, it seems like um, only certain types of media groups are willing to have her on and hear that there is actually a number of downsides. And, and I mean, she doesn't know at the age of 18, she doesn't know if she'll ever be able to have or carry a baby to term um, due to taking these hormones um, at a very, you know, at, mm-hmm. before puberty took place, um, right. which, I mean, is just incredibly sad now mm-hmm. for her to have gone yeah. through all of this, and she's only 18 years old. Unbelievable. Who would allow their child to start that at 11? <laughs> I mean... Well, and I think we trust our medical providers, and if, yes. if they're saying to you, your child needs to do this so so that they can be mentally healthy, mm-hmm. you know, then parents, parents jump on board with that because, of course, they want the best for their kids, and yeah. And I think, you know, we all want to be really compassionate for, yes. for people who have these transgender issues. Um, but I, I do think there's a strong mental health component that, you know, when you do hear some of the patients talk about it, some of the people who are kind of detransitioning, they've said that that didn't really get addressed, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, and so if that had been more fleshed out instead of just sending them down this chute of, well, you complain of this, so now we're going to start these hormone blockers, we're going to get you into surgery, you know, then maybe it would it would go differently. And mm-hmm. um, basically moving you, through to the most invasive treatment first, rather than, yeah, you know, are there the other opposite. ways that we can compassionately address, mm-hmm. you know, these issues and these feelings? Um, you know, are there less invasive ways to do that first before we move through the whole Gamut. Instead, mm-hmm. they're skipping straight to the end, and they're not. Again, what I have heard from a number of different people sharing is that, um, you know, the parents and children are not being fully informed on, mm-hmm. you know, helping them understand this is something that it, it this isn't a this isn't a pause, right? You know, this is this right. will permanently alter the way you know the way your body is formed and mm-hmm. shaped and operate because this is a pivotal time. Um, and, and I'm so thankful for that. There are a number of, um, ch- unfortunately, children, but also there are a few adults out there as well that have experienced this and um, are really advocating for a compassionate but less invasive way mm-hmm. of handling these issues. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Jill, we are already at the end of our time together here, and I do want to just say thank you so much for taking on this um, really noble task of starting Fair Medicine in the Twin Cities, and I think it could not come at a better time. There's just so much for you to address, and so we wish you the best, and we do want you to quickly share the website where people can find um, more information about your meeting in January. Yeah, it's just um, Fair Twin Cities. Let me look it up real quick to get the exact address. Yep, Fair Uh, fairforall.com. Fairforall.com is the main one. Or sorry, fairforall.org. .org, .org. yeah, Mm -hmm. www.fairforall.org. Okay, Um, very good. All right, we are at the end of our time. So again, thank you, Jill, and best wishes to you. And good night, everyone. Have a great night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.